I'm not sure what kind of week you've had. We've been talking about work, and uh, for some of you, you may have arrived here today feeling overworked and worn out and ready for a rest, and we're talking about rest. Maybe some of you have had a very, uh, a very restful week. Maybe you've had uh, coming in today feeling, uh, feeling recharged, feeling refreshed already. Um, I want to talk to you about a man named uh, Colonel William Pogue because he felt a little bit worn out, if you're one of those this morning. He was so worn out, in fact, that he became uh, the first American to go on strike in space. Uh, it was 1974, and he was on, at the time, uh, the longest manned spa uh, space mission aboard the Skylab space, dish space Station. And if you know anything about astronauts, you know that they're not... They're not um, shy or, or uh, 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 averse to work, right? Only the most dedicated, disciplined, hardworking, well-trained, uh, motivated people ever get through the testing that's required to make it, uh, make it to become an astronaut. And uh, Colonel William Pogue was, was no exception. He was an incredibly disciplined and hardworking man. He had learned to deal with the regular stuff of life uh, in space. Uh, regular dizziness, regular nausea, regular vomiting. That was just, that was just regular part of, uh, of life as an astro astronaut. He was okay with that. But it was on this particular space mission, it was the pace of his work that got to him. And uh, it became too much. He was overscheduled. And he just found that he and the other two astronauts were rushing the entire day. Uh, they, they, in fact, completed 50 sci scientific experiments and two spacewalks in, this, uh, uh, in the course of this particular mission. And it was the pace of it that was too much. Couldn't keep up. And uh, at, at one point, he and the other astronauts asked for more rest. They made the, made the uh, request to ground control, said, it's too much, we need a break. And, uh, and they felt, uh, ground, ground control felt, hey, um, we've got important work to do, and we don't have a lot of time to do it. And they actually refused. Not only did they refuse, they didn't understand the request. They, and they be, ground control began to do some investigation because they thought, Maybe they have, uh, they're, they're coming under some, some strange uh, uh, condition. Maybe there's a mental illness. Maybe there's a physical illness that has gotten a hold of them because this, you know, they, they shouldn't be asking for, for more breaks. But that wasn't the case. The, the uh, Pogue and the others just needed more rest. He said they needed more time to think more time to look out the window, more time to enjoy the, enjoy the view, more time to feel human. And, it, and eventually things came to a head. Pogue and the others staged a strike. They didn't have placards. They weren't uh, um, pacing back and forth. But they, they, did, they did stage a work action. And eventually, they got what they needed. They got a, uh, arrived at a compromise with ground control. And they got their break. I'm not sure how, how that hits you this morning. I, I was in the middle of an incredibly busy week this week, and I thought, I feel exactly like Colonel William Pogue did this week. Uh, I, I feel like, 
I didn't have ground control to blame for it. It was all my, my uh, uh, I brought it on myself, a series of scheduling things that just uh, served to make this particular week um, a week when everything was happening and, and a lot of things were, were crowding in. But that sense of not having time to stop, not having time to look out the window, enjoy the view, feel human, uh, those things, uh, those, those kind of weeks come and those kind of uh, stresses come in our life. And I'm in the middle of the week thinking, am I really preaching on rest this Sunday? Like, is that, is that this week? Is that, you know, and uh, just those are, those are the kinds of things that God does. Thankfully, I have experienced enough rest in my relationship with God that I know when I'm not getting it. I know when I'm missing it. And I know when I'm feeling like that, where I need to go to experience it again. But I want to talk with you this morning about rest because as we we began a series two weeks ago on work and what the Bible says about work, and we have to step back from work and say, probably in our generation, like no other, we are being forced to live like the astronauts on that Skylab space station, right? Uh, We talk about the always-on uh, an always-on society. We, we have a trouble shutting off because uh, we give everything we've got at work, then we bring it home with our laptops, and we get emails and text messages all hours of the day. Some of, some of you are dealing with clients and, and partners in different time zones and in different countries. We are being pressed to work without rest, without an opportunity to see the view and enjoy Uh, what it means to be human. And I want to see today how Scripture reminds us how God gives us rest. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first three verses of that that chapter. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the first thing I learned from this passage is that we find rest in our work when we stop seeing work as the end. Work isn't the goal of life, this passage will teach us. In fact, God has created us for something different, that uh, work isn't the end, and so it can't be our ultimate focus. To see that, what I want you to do is something that we've already been doing in this series. And what we've been doing so far is we've been seeing how God works to learn how we ought to work. We've been saying that we've been created in God's image, and God works, and somehow we, we can reflect or imitate God in uh, his, his pattern of work. We bear his stamp, and so somehow we should imitate him and learn from him as, as he works. Now, what we learn from this passage is that God is a little bit like Colonel Pogue, I think. He rests. And, and you see that in, in verse 2. For instance, it says, Seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Uh, again, in verse 3, he repeats the same idea. God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, we read that, and each of us probably 
subconsciously fills in what we understand about rest here. And so I think it's important that we understand what this rest is and what it isn't. God's rest, for instance, wasn't uh, a nap for a weary God. If you were kind of thinking, wow, God spent six days, you know, he created the heavens and the earth, and he was just totally wiped out, and he needed a day to get caught up. And, uh, it, it wasn't that. It, it wasn't a nap for, for a weary God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, for, for instance, says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Uh, it also says in Psalm 121, verse 4, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't get worn out. He doesn't get tired. And so God's rest primarily wasn't him putting his feet up and saying, whew, I I just need some, I need a break, I need a massage or something. Like, that's not what it was, okay? When we pray to God, we don't need to worry about what time zone he's in. We don't need to stop and think and like, am I interrupting him too much? Is he, is he going to get worn out by this? Is, is, is this a difficult time? That's not the God that we serve. He's all-powerful, and that means six days of creation. He creates the heavens and the earth, and God is, is, is still recharged and, and, uh, and satisfied in his accomplishment. But even still, he rested. What does that mean? Well, the word here for rest is actually the Hebrew word Shabbat, which you probably hear that and you think, oh, that sounds a lot like Sabbath. The, the word just means stop working, okay? Just means stop what you're doing, stop, stop working. And so it has, has just a very simple technical name, but you know uh, that Shabbat or Sabbath came to mean much more than that in, in uh Jewish history and in the Old Covenant. Before we get into a little bit more of that, I want you to see that this happened on the seventh day. Have you ever thought, that, thought about the significance of this rest coming on the seventh day? When you look in Scripture, I think sometimes that we can think, we can look at the seven days and think the climax, the, the, the pinnacle of those seven days had to be on day six when God created humans, right? That, that had to be, that's what it's all about. And, and we can start living like human, the creation of humans and, and then them going to work. That's what it was all about. But that wasn't, it can't be what it's all about because that happened on the sixth day. Any, anybody, anybody here heard of the lucky number six? No, there is, nobody's, nobody's ever heard of the lucky number six. That's never anybody's lucky number. It's always lucky number seven because in scripture, at least, God seems to love the number seven, right? Sevens are all over scripture. There are seven days. There are seven, uh, there are seven sevens, the, 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 the weeks and the years that God is always laying out things in terms of sevens. When they, when they would take the altar and consecrate it, they would put blood on it, but they would put blood on it seven times. God loves the number of seven because num- the number seven is his number of perfection. It's his number of completion. It's a special, uh, holds special significance because when he wants to do something and raise something up as special, he often associate, associate it, uh, associates it with a, uh, a number seven. And so when we, look at, when we look at the sixth day, we realize 
oh, that can't be, that, that's, just a, that's just preparation. The really good stuff has got to come on the seventh day, and that's what we see here. It's the seventh day rest that God has prepared us for. And we learn, it teaches us that it's that rest that is really the climax. That's really the, the culmination of all that God has been preparing for. And that's important because often we can pour ourselves into our work as if that's the climax, as if us working is, is what, what life is all about, that what God is all about and what he, is, he has been preparing us for. But work is just a pregame show. It's this Sabbath, this rest, that is, in fact, the main event. The seventh day is also the only day, I'm not sure if you notice this, it's the only day that gets blessed, right? God does some amazing things on the, on the various days, but it's only the seventh day that he blesses. It's also the only day that he declares to be holy. In fact, it's the only time that the word holy is used in the whole book of Genesis. This is a special day. This is a special thing. God's rest is, is both blessed and holy. It's something that he sets apart as special. And so if we ignore that rest, we ignore something crucial about who he's created us to be. We miss out on something, uh, something of the blessing of life, something of the sacredness of life. And that helps me to see my work differently. Because We've been saying that work is important. We said work is a privilege. It's something that God has given us to us, given to us. It's a part of what it means to be human. But work is not the end. That the work, in fact, is just a preparation for a rest that God has planned for us. And so if you ignore that holy rest, you're not living in the image of God. We, we, we are stepping away from something of what it means to uh, to follow God in the way that we, we work and we seek to honor him in that. And we're not going to know the blessing that God intends for us. Uh, some of you will know the name Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was uh, originally a, a doctor, uh, but he became a famous preacher. And he, uh, he once said that, I've met many doctors on whose tombs should be written, he was born a man, but he died a doctor. And it wasn't a compliment. What he was saying, and the same thing, same thing could be true of many of us here this morning. It doesn't necessarily um, a, a reference just to doctors. But what he was saying is so many of the men that he met had poured so much of their life into their careers that they had lost something of their humanity. They had lost something significant about what it means to be human in their desire to give everything to uh, a life of accomplishment and work. Our culture will push us to, to do that, right? Our culture will often push us to give more and more, to, to, to function in our jobs like the astronauts did on that, on that space station. And it's one thing when our employers do it to us or we do it to ourselves. Often, though, it's Father's Day, right? Often, us fathers can do the same thing to our children, right? Overprogram them, overschedule them. We can send the message that life is primarily about accomplishment. It's primarily about succeeding beyond the people around us in our jobs. And, and it's not to say that, that, that teaching the value of work is, isn't important. It is. 
But often so much of our focus will get devoted in that area that we ignore what Scripture says is the real point of life, that sacred rest that we've been created to enjoy with God. So let's stop seeing work as the end. Uh, let's stop making uh, our jobs and our, our accomplishments the, the goal of life and the focus of what we do. Uh, let's stop making our children feel as if work is what they've been created for, that, that that's the end, that that's the, 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 the thing that, that we are, are, are focused on. And let's learn to pursue holy rest. Let's learn to enjoy the presence of God, to enjoy rest with him. I need, to, I need to do a better job of modeling that for you. We need to do a better job of modeling that for our children. And God invites us to enjoy uh, that rest that he's created us for. We need to rest the way God rests. And that rest, as we've learned, it's not just, it's not just a hammock. It's not just putting our feet up. It's not an evening of Netflix. It is something that is sacred and holy and blessed. So we find rest in our work when he stops seeing work as the end. But I want to see next how we find rest in our work when we rest in the presence of God. We want to dive a little bit deeper into what this rest is that Scripture says is the number seven rest, the special, holy, blessed rest that he's prepared for us. The rest that God invites us to, as we said, it may include a hammock, but it's certainly not limited to that. It goes deeper than that. We find rest in our work when we rest in the presence of God. Now, before we get there, I need to back up with you and say something uh, that we saw with work. We, we already said that work is a privilege, right? That, that when we work, we're doing something unique to us, to our, to our design in humanity. We're doing something different than what the animals did. We said that Animals don't work in, a, in the way that God works. They just, they just busy themselves to survive. They, they do what they need to do to get food, um, but they're not thinking of, uh, of design and creation and purpose and, and, or a, any of those things. And so we've said our work is a privilege of our, of our humanity. It's a gift from God. But we also need to stop and say that not only plants and animals don't work, they don't get a day off either. There are no like vacation plans for, for rats. or you, you, don't, you don't have any kind of days off, regular vacations. That's just not a part of animal life or plant life. They don't Sabbath the way God does because they're not created in his image. They're just plants. They're just animals. And so we need to approach God's rest with a sense of privilege. The, the six days of creation were all just so that we could enjoy holy rest in God's presence. And we don't rest because we're tired from work. We understand that work is in preparation for the rest that he, he has for us. We were created for Sabbath with God. Anything less than that, and we're just living like animals. We're, we're going into a vegetative state in a sense. If, if all that we're doing is doing this, to produce, to, to eat, to grow. We're created for something more than that. This is what we were created for, but often sin will get in the way. Now, why don't you see what happens here in Genesis 3.8? gives us a picture, I think, of part of the struggle that we have in our lives today. It describes the scene after Adam and Eve sinned. 
And watch what it says. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, presumably, God is used to walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The cool of the day is kind of the the end of the day when, when evening is approaching and it's a little more comfortable. And, and we, when we think of walking or walking with someone, you walk with someone who, whose company you enjoy. You w- go for a walk with someone that you want to spend time with them without an agenda, right? You, you don't just go walking with anyone. And you don't typically, are, you're, you're, you're going walking with a friend, someone who you want relationship with. Adam and Eve had enjoyed this kind of time with God. They had enjoyed those walks in the cool of the day, spending time in his presence, enjoying sacred rest. But sin changed that. Now we see that they're hiding when the cool of the day comes. Now when they hear the sound of God's, uh, God uh, walking, they, they decide to avoid him. They try and get out of the way. And they're, they're busying themselves with other stuff. They're, they're making fig, fig leaves because now, instead of pursuing rest, they, they want to hide from God. They feel exposed in his presence instead of feeling rest in his presence. And what I want you to see, though, is that that kind of hiding from God and avoiding God and not entering into his rest, that's unnatural. That is not how we were created. It was sin that made us respond like that. But we were, we were originally intended to, to seek out that kind of fellowship, to enter into that kind of rest. And it's only sin that, is, that has disrupted that. I also want you to see that as the nation of Israel was established, that God actually brought this idea of rest to prominence. But he did so in a very specific way. He regulated it. Uh, he made it actually illegal to avoid his rest. He laid down legislation for a day of Sabbath to, first of all, to communicate how crucial it is, how important it was. It, it sent the message to everyone, this is an essential part of my design for you. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Here, the walks with God in the cool of the day have been become literal 24-hour legislation. They have become codified in very strict laws of uh, what you could and couldn't do. No work. Instead, a holy day committed to the Lord. And in verse 11, the reason is given, pointing back to the creation. It says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. So here, the rest in God's presence is set apart, and it's set apart because of creation. This is what I've created you for. This is what you have been designed to enjoy. But we also rest in God's presence because that's what God saved us to do. When Moses restates the same Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, notice what he says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See what's happening here? 
In Exodus, God says, you need to enter into my rest because that's what I created you for. And then you get to Deuteronomy and he says, you need to enter into my rest and enjoy that because that's what I saved you for. It, it wasn't as if when, when Adam and Eve and all of humanity turned their backs on God and hid from him, instead of entering his rest, he said, forget it, I'm, I'm doing away with this thing called rest, you can just work like slaves. No, he did not say that. In fact, when they were, they were brought into slavery, he says, I'm going to intervene, rescue them from that, not just because slavery is tough, and it was, not because work was difficult, and it was, but because he wanted them to enjoy that rest with him again. He wanted them to know sacred times of, of rest in his presence. That's why he delivered them, and that's why he's created us. As I said, under the old covenant, this was legislation. You could actually be stoned by the community for carrying firewood on the Sabbath. They had strict laws uh, codifying what you could and couldn't do. And it was, uh, it, it was very strict in, in, in that sense. You get to the new covenant then, all of that changes. We're still invited to rest, but the rest now is in Jesus Christ. Uh, now uh, now we're, we're, we're not given uh, details on all of the things that can and can't be done on the Sabbath. We're just called to gather, but to gather not on the seventh day, but on another day, a day that's called the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week in recognition that this was a time of, uh, to, to celebrate the only other important thing that happened on the first day of the week in, in the New Covenant, which was Jesus' resurrection. It's interesting that that seventh day, I, I told you about, it was sacred, it was holy. And yet they, they didn't, they didn't, change, they didn't uh, maintain that day. They, they went to the first day. And they didn't call it the Sabbath anymore. They just used that term, the Lord's Day. Apart from gathering for worship, there are no do's and don'ts listed. It's a priority of rest with God without the rules. It's an entering into the sacred rest without the, the stipulations. In one sense, it's a return to those walks with God in the, cool, uh, the coolness of the day. That entering into fellowship, entering into relationship. Rest with God without the rules. But that was a hard adjustment for the early church to make because you'd have, you'd have Jewish believers who had grown up with these strict regulations about the Sabbath and they, they couldn't imagine a life of faith outside of that. And Gentile believers were coming to faith and they didn't see anything in the New Covenant that required that. And so often Paul will have to step in and kind of set the record straight. He'd have to spell things out for them. So he says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And watch what he says. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the old covenant regulations communicated precious truths. They helped us to see how important God's sacred rest was. But we're not under the old covenant anymore. And we're not supposed to be judging each other on our list of what you can and can't do on, on, on the Lord's day or, or, or any other day. And yet, amazingly, 
that's exactly what the Christian church has often done, right? We've got our lists, and this is not supposed to be done, and you're supposed to be doing more of this and less of that. And we, we do exactly the opposite of what this, this verse says, and we start judging each other about our lists, and somehow the rest in Christ gets lost in all of that. The law regarding the Sabbath were just a shadow of the things to come, this verse says. Christ is the substance. He's the one that, that all of this was pointing to. Whether you collect firewood or not on the Sabbath makes very little difference. In fact, we're not using the word Sabbath anymore under the new covenant. Whether, how you enjoy God's rest other than gathering for worship is not spelled out or codified with legislation anymore. The point is sacred rest. The point is relationship. And all of those things find their fulfillment in Christ. He's the one that makes rest possible. He's the one who invites us into rest. He is the one who provides rest for our souls, who invites us to an eternal rest. He's the one that makes that possible. So finally, I want to turn to that eternal rest because we find rest in our work when we secure our eternal rest. When you live with a certain hope that your life is not just being lived to leave a legacy or to make your mark or to do something amazing, if you recognize that that's not what you're aiming at, but you are aiming to be prepared, yes, to be faithful in this life, but to be prepared for an eternal rest, changes the way you see things. It changes the way that you approach your work. There's no more striving or a frenzied drive for achievement. There's time to enjoy the view. There's time to rest with God. So we find rest in our work when we secure our eternal rest. I would say that if before I met Jesus Christ, my life was spent in this constant churning of activity. It wasn't just physical, like I was doing this on the outside, which I was, but on the inside, there was this, always this striving, the belief that if I can just do enough and if I can just accomplish enough and be productive enough, then I'll somehow be able to convince myself, convince other people, and hopefully convince God that I'm, I'm good enough. I make the grade. I, I, I measure up. And that's a good recipe for getting things done, being productive. It's a terrible recipe for finding rest. It just, just exhausts you on the inside. And, and that's what I found. I, I read, of a, I read of, of a woman once who talked about why she enjoyed being pregnant so much. You know what she said? She said, when I'm pregnant, I feel like I'm always productive. In a sense, even when I'm sleeping, my body is working. And I've, I've never been pregnant, but I know exactly what she's talking about, don't you? There is that sense that as long as I'm always productive, I must be, I must be important. I must be of value. I've got to be something if I'm this busy. And, and, and so often that kind of mindset can grip our lives. And the scriptures tell us to... to to, to drop that and to walk in a different direction. Jesus is the one who can restore that rest. He's the one who made this famous invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will 
give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He tells us to take his yoke upon ourselves. And what I needed to do when I first came to Christ is to recognize that this always on trying to trying to prove and justify myself by my activity, that was a yoke that I needed to take off and I needed to lay down. I needed to recognize that the burdens that I was carrying, trying to pretend like I was the Messiah, those were burdens that I was not designed to carry and I needed to lay them down. And he was, he was more than willing to carry the burdens that I was truly in, intended and designed to carry. And I needed to learn to take up his yoke, to, uh, to, to follow him and to learn from him and to learn rest from him. And as I learned that, I truly learned rest for my soul. I experienced in my heart a sense of peace that I had never experienced before and I'm convinced cannot be experienced anywhere else. I still feel temptations to justify my worth by what I do. I still hear the voices. I I still feel the pressure from other people to justify my my worth by what I do, just like Colonel William Pogue did. But when I hear those voices and I feel that pressure, I know where to go now. I can come to Jesus Christ and I lay down the yoke. I lay down the burdens. and, And so often I will hear him uh, saying, you know, what are you doing picking up that old yoke again? What, what are you doing trying to be the Messiah, trying to, trying to bear burdens you were never, never intended, never designed to carry? And I hear those reminders from him that he will carry the burdens, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Hebrews 4.9 promises that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. If you have entered into God's rest, there is an even greater rest that is prepared for us. Anyone who has stopped carrying the old burdens and instead taken on Jesus' yoke can look forward to an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest, a sacred, holy rest in God's presence. It it won't be all naps and hammocks, okay? So we're going to put that out of our mind. That's not what it is when we say rest. But it is a sense of, I can breathe again. I can enjoy the view. There is accomplishment without the sweat. No more thorns and thistles. No more bearing burdens we weren't intended to bear. A rest in God's presence. There's going to be lots of, of long walks in the cool of the day. Enjoying the relationship with God that we were intended to enjoy with him. The kind of fellowship that he saved us to take part in. I don't know where you are this morning with, with work. I don't know where you are with rest. Some of you may be like, this is, this is like easy for you. Some of you are really good at this. Um, maybe you just, normal, you just are easily caught up into the presence of God and can rest in his presence, speak with him freely, listen to his voice, and enjoy the view as you do. I have found that those people are extremely rare. I don't meet a lot of people for whom this comes naturally. Too often we are caught up listening to our world and the pressure to conform to 
an always-on culture, uh, trying to justify our existence by what we do and how productive we are. Perhaps sacred rest with God is something that maybe you, maybe you just need to start by looking out the window the way Colonel Pogue did, taking more time to rest, taking more time to think, reminding yourself of who you are and in whose image you have been created. Probably for many of us this morning, when you hear God's invitation to rest, you feel a little bit like the Israelites did when, when Moses first taught this to them. They were slaves, right? They were generations of slaves. They didn't get days off. They weren't planning vacations and looking forward to holidays. That was not a part of their mindset. And so probably the first time they heard about this sacred rest, they probably thought, like, if, if it's more than a few minutes, like, what on earth would I do? How, how do I, what, what am I going to do with the time? Like, what, how would I spend time with, with God? How would I rest in his presence? And if that's where you are this morning, I just encourage you to, uh, to, to make time for God, to listen to him, to talk to him, and to give yourself the time to learn to do this. And I think when we do, we need to, we need to learn to do this for our own sake. We need to do it, fathers, need to do the, we need to do this for our children's sake. Our children need to see that their father isn't just teaching them how to accomplish things in, their li- in life. They need to see that their fathers model for them what life is all about. And life is on the seventh day. It's sacred rest. It's holy rest. It's rest in God's presence. It's relationship with him. And it has to start with us. I want to encourage you to enter into that rest. I want to encourage you to hear Jesus' invitation to rest. And I want to take that to him in prayer now, if you'd join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are a God who cares about our rest. And I believe that you're the only one who can lead us into true rest. So, Father, help us to rest in you. Teach us how to Sabbath. Give us a faith, Father, to turn off the always-on mentality that so grips us. And help us to take time to speak with you, to listen to you, and to worship you. Father, we pray the same for our children. Help us to show our children how to rest in you. We want them to see the high value of work, but we want them to see the higher value of sacred rest. So give us help. Help us to focus our eyes on the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. And Father, by faith in Jesus Christ, may we take his yoke upon ourselves and lay hold of the future that he's prepared for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.